0: Welcome to Lithium-Ion Rocks, episode 24, Growing Up, Piedmont Lithium. Piedmont's listed on NASDAQ, as well as the ASX ticker symbol PLL, market cap about $60 U.S. dollars. They have no debt, no offtake partners, uh, pretty clean capital structure, uh, but have hit a number of milestones this year, as uh, we'll discuss right now. It is Thursday, December 5th, I am in the offices of Piedmont Lithium in New York with the boss, Keith Phillips, who um, we, it's the second time we've uh, interviewed Keith. He was here in April. A lot has happened uh, since then. He raised some money with some of the best institutions in the world, some $21 million with Fidelity uh, taking a 9% position and uh, an existing shareholder Aus superannuation, uh, one of the biggest pension funds or mutual funds in Australia, maintaining their stake, I think it's now around 13%. Since then, they have um, announced a, uh, an enlarged resource, enlarged mine life, uh, some 25 or, or 27 years. They've also announced a byproduct marketing agreement for their Feldspar and Quartz with a, a world-class private equity group, AMCI, uh, they have been permitted for their mine and concentrator 11 months after they uh, started that process with the Army Corps of Engineers, and then last week they announced a um, an appointment of Hatch, uh, the most experienced, uh, I guess, chemical plant uh, advisor, to assist with their pre-feasibility study and definitive feasibility study. So the target, uh, Piedmont, uh, unlike many other companies who have delayed their plans, actually brought forward their plan to produce lithium hydroxide uh, by a year or two, and now they're expecting that by 2023. It's a vertically integrated, you know, plain vanilla hard rock to hydroxide strategy that um, is expected in the first half to complete the pre-feasibility study, and by this time next year, in some 12 months, they expect to be permitted and have a definitive feasibility study for the vertically integrated strategy, and subject to financing, you know, could be in construction in the beginning part of 2021. Today, it was announced that uh, LG Chem and GM are putting together a $2.3 billion battery plant in the Lordstown, Michigan plant that is, I think, a thirty-gigawatt plant. I saw Sam Jaffe, uh, a, a very astute battery analyst, mention that two point three billion is about half of you know Tesla's investment in the gigafactory in Nevada for something of similar size. I think Tesla's is thirty-five. So it just demonstrates how cost of battery. Uh, plants and manufacturing have come down. Bloomberg New Energy Finance earlier this week came out with their numbers that showed, a, a, a yet again, a 13 percent decline year-on-year year in uh, battery pack costs. So the trajectory of the industry is very strong. Earlier this year, Volkswagen um, put out their what we call their manifesto and talked about the sustainability Uh, Aspect and the hard rock uh, to hydroxide being their preferred route and preferably close to production. Volkswagen has announced in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just a couple hundred miles from Piedmont, um, uh, you know, that's going to be the the center for their uh, uh, MEB and ID3 uh, production. The GM plant uh, with LG Chem uh, apparently was. they talked about making Cadillacs and and a a couple of uh, trucks and SUVs. And uh, as we've talked about Piedmont being, and um, my friend here, Keith, who I've known for 15 years being in New Jersey, I'm from Long Island, so there was always this uh, competition between uh, Billy Joel and uh, Bruce Springsteen, but uh, uh, as is my want and and, and affinity to uh, create narratives and Nicknames, the boss Keith Phillips. Uh, we had a, a "Born in the USA, Born to Run" moniker or earlier this year. Uh, I now think uh, you know maybe "Pink Cadillac" uh, for those uh, GM cars. And uh, growing up uh, from the first uh, g- "Greetings from Asbury Park," um, as well as uh, "She's the One," are, are going to be the background music for for this interview. So that's a very long introduction. Uh, I have Keith here now. I guess I just want to start. Keith became CEO about two and a half years ago. Piedmont at that time had backed into, um, you know, a a shell company in Australia. It had 500 acres, 19 drill holes, and that's about it. It is now listed on NASDAQ. Keith, for the first time, uh, left his very long, storied career um, on Wall Street some 30 years as an investment banker, M&A, knew nothing about lithium, you know, until I uh, kind of introduced him to the concept, uh, and after four months of uh, diligence, decided that, it, it, you know, lithium looked interesting, and uh, this asset had a significant kind of strategic value. Is the story today, two and a half years in, I guess, is it as good, worse, better? You know, what are some takeaways, uh, surprises on the upside, downside?
1: Been a lot of positive surprises. Our asset is bigger than we thought it would be. Uh, The grade is uh, higher than we thought it might be. uh, And the economics are better than we thought they might be. So the project we have within this business is that much more attractive than we thought it might be, which is terrific. It's, as you said, a 25-year project, 22,700 tons a year of lithium hydroxide at around $3,100 cash cost net of byproducts. Uh, That would be the lowest cost producer in the world. Um, We're confident that directionally those numbers will hold up in the PFS and DFS. It's just that we're very fortunate to be in an amazing environment uh, in North Carolina. The one negative surprise, uh, it's been interesting to see – the uh, strong growth in EV uh, kind of adoption by the major OEMs and development, and uh, and you look out two, four, six, eight years, it's really, really exciting. Uh, it's been surprising to see uh, the short-term downdraft based on, you know, the oversupply issues we've faced really coming out of Australia in the last year or so, which are uh, clearly having a big impact but I think will be temporary. Uh, So I think I share a view of most people in the industry where I'm surprised prices are where they are today. Uh, I expect them to be far stronger uh, in the medium term. Uh, Surprised where stock prices are for a lot of companies today. I expect those also to be far stronger uh, in the medium term. But long story short, after 20, uh, I guess 30 months in the job, very happy where I am, very excited about our unique project and uh, and really bullish about the long-term fundamentals for the space.
0: It's the end of the year, so uh, kind of taking stock of what happened this year and, and looking forward to next year. So th- there was a marked shift in the middle of the year when the subsidies uh, were reduced in China. And uh, everyone talks about the oversupply, you know, from out of, out of Western Australia, but uh, not enough people, I think, talk about also the Shanghai brines. Um, we were both at the Cathodes Conference. and. General Lithium put up there that uh, that was like forty thousand tons of you know not great quality but nevertheless uh, competing with uh, SQMs low quality into China and Oracobras and and some of that uh, although that forty thousand number you know maybe thirty thousand I heard from Anthony C so there's a little bit confusion on 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 that but the demand definitely slowed in China um, and uh, that's obviously I- I- impacted. However, uh, if I look at Neo Metals, uh, this time last year, um, sold their 14% stake to their partners, um, Ganfeng and Mineral Resources. That's a vertically inter- one. It was only spodumene, so th- they they paid 104 million Aussie. If you do the math, it was about 515 million US just for a spodumene uh, minority stake. Although it did give them implicit. Uh, joint control of that asset, although Neometals retains, I think, some 70,000 tons. So there's some value there. But but in in any event, um, that's a reasonable price as a vertically integrated, from Ganfeng's perspective, that is very much a vertically integrated um, uh, uh, spodumene to both carbonate and hydroxide, relatively rich valuation. Then you had this time last year, Albemarle, obviously with their $1.2 billion, uh, which they increased to $1.3 billion, although they restructured that joint venture a bit. But they had every opportunity to walk away from that deal in the middle of this year, but did not. Likewise, West Farmers uh, with Kidman paid essentially $525 million just for that asset, and they've increased the Capex, I think the $700 million Australian dollars just for their take. So that was, that's like a billion, 1.1 billion U.S. investment in Kidman for a project for their half share is only about 23,000 tons. I say only, but that's the equivalent size of the Piedmont lithium project. So you're sitting here at a 60 million U.S. market cap, and you have these three data points of real strategics, understanding the hard rock to... Hydroxide vertically integrated strategy. Um, so I t- that, to me, uh, demonstrates uh, you know the, the value of these assets. Uh,
1: I think what's clear is smart money understands the long-term strategic opportunity. We're at give or take two percent EV penetration right now. Um, that number is going to rise very dramatically. I think, frankly, the, some of the longer-term estimates will prove to be conservative. And I think I think people understand this is a very exciting opportunity, and there happens to be a real valuation opportunity uh, for investors now with uh, you know the relatively short-term sort of dislocations. We have the only American spodamine project, so it's interesting. Uh, the three transactions you spoke about were spogamine based. Uh, so having a spogamine based integrated business on private land in North Carolina is very interesting. It's the only, again, American spodumene project. It's the only American greenfield hydroxide project. Um, And it's in uh, the eastern U.S. on private land with a federal permit for our mining operations. So uh, we feel exceptionally good about our strategic position, and I think um, we're confident to the extent we're interested in partnering or or having strategic conversations that others will see our assets similarly and some of those conversations are ongoing. In terms of developing the project a year from now, if, if a year from now the market's where it is today, um, we'll have a difficult decision to make as to whether we want to accept the del- financial dilution that would be required for shareholders to kind of fund the project in that environment. And uh, that's why you've seen so many of the projects slow down. That would be a difficult decision. I frankly don't expect the market to be this way a year from now. I think prices could be considerably higher. I think equities could be considerably higher, including ours. I think with the de-risking of the activities we've had, I think there's a chance the stock completely re-rates, and it's quite possible there will be uh, strategic interest um, develop as well. And I, and we haven't talked about offtake yet, but we're you know we're we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of the important players in the battery supply chain, and I think those those could be important announcements for us as well. So. Financing uh, a project like this, I think the economics are very strong. It's in, in it's in the ideal location. There's literally not a better location to be doing what we want to do, so I think uh, I think the financing will take care of itself. I really don't worry about that.
0: Share with us, uh, I guess, some of the feedback from some of the Asian, uh, you know, and European OEMs, battery companies, and. Uh, And cathode that you've been meeting, Uh, what you've been to Asia like four times this year, I think.
1: Uh, Yeah, the the basic feedback I guess is uh, number one on the hydroxide versus carbonate front. This is a really uh, it's a really important point. And the comment that was made by General Lithium at the cathodes conference was interesting, where they projected that lithium hydroxide demand would exceed carbonate demand by 2022. Uh, That's something I've never seen anyone else project. And when I asked a question about that, the feedback was. Um, you know, when you speak to the customers, the cathode guys, the battery guys, the car companies, all they want is hydroxide. Hydroxide uh, is required in high nickel chemistry batteries. High nickel chemistry cathode drives uh, range uh, and energy density. So um, everybody, whether it's Tesla or Ford or Volkswagen or others, are working to uh, really expand range, use use uh, use more nickel in their cathode. That requires hydroxide. It's great for hydroxide. Uh, we b- we believe will be a low cost producer of hydroxide. So that's a really important thing. And the reason we accelerated our chemical plant development, you had mentioned that earlier, was really in reaction to meetings with several of the major players in the supply chain, where it became obvious that it became clear to us they they were they were uh, transparent with us. The cathode and battery companies have made commitments to these large OEMs to supply them batteries uh, by certain times. And they require, obviously, lithium to make those batteries. And that those, those commitments aren't very far away. And they're dramatically larger than, say, 2018 or 2019 production uh, for everyone we're, we're speaking to. So there's a really long need. And if you work back from 2023, for instance, we actually hope to be in production by the end of 2022. But really, you need to begin construction at this beginning of 2021 to do that. And that's, that's the timeline we have. And that's been driven by... Um, customer interest and customer encouragement to move more quickly if we can, and so we are. Um, So I think net-net hydroxide demand is going to grow very, very strongly. Uh, We intend to, over the course of the next year, put in place two or three or four very strong offtake agreements with blue-chip customers across the supply chain uh, uh, with a real focus on the United States EV market and uh, secondarily, the European EV market, where, you know, obviously that market's uh, leaving Tesla aside. Europe is moving more quickly than the U.S. is to electrification. Uh, we're a lot closer to Europe than China is. So we're a potentially very attractive source of supply into that market. Uh, that's something you know, we're speaking to the customers about as well. Um, and so, so I think it's, it's interesting. You've really got a tale of two markets. You've got the current spot lithium market. You've got uh, lithium equity prices, both of which are depressed for understandable reasons. But in the background, you have this demand for battery quality lithium hydroxide building in great scale with really highly credible groups that have made commitments to other highly credible groups. You know, battery companies to car companies uh, in the quite in you know in the medium term. So, 2023 is not that far away, and. Uh, I think you're gonna. There's a point in time, which I think will come in 2020, where the market's gonna sort of wake up to this reality, particularly for those developing hydroxide projects, and we'll have a really sharp reaction in the price and in the equity prices.
0: For a small company, I think we have what six analysts covering you. Uh, I think the target prices generally. Uh, Red Spencer, I think, is at 30 cents and. Taylor Collison and Roth Capital and, you know, and, and a few others. I guess just your approach to, uh, I guess, the building, um, you know, profile and, 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 you know, in the Australian market and in, in, in the U.S. market, um, how do you see that evolving? And, uh, I mean, the liquidity is not great yet, you know, in on the NASDAQ, but uh, uh, just talk about your strategy for, for the company in, in, in that regard, you know, to date and, uh, you know, over the next year?
1: Sure. So we're, uh, uh, you know, we have an American asset. We have an American management team. Um, We're uh, actually an Australian corporate entity, but we, so we decided to list on NASDAQ. And I think, uh, you know, based on my experience with dozens and dozens of clients uh, generally out of Canada, Companies, quality companies that list in the U.S. tend to find most of their trading volume migrates to the U.S. for one very simple reason. It's just a dramatically larger capital market than the Canadian market or the Australian market. Uh, So we've had, I've had good experience myself in the past in the Canadian market. Uh, Our company has done really well in the Australian capital market. That's important to us. You mentioned uh, Super and Fidelity in our stock over there. We also have another of other a number of other really high quality institutions in our stock and a number of high quality retail investors. So that's an important market for us. But there are 50 or 60 lithium companies listed in Australia. There are five listed in the United States. So this capital market's probably ten or fifteen times the size of the Australian market. There's far less for American investors to choose from in lithium. Three of the listed stories are majors, Albemarle, SQM, and Livent. Uh, then there are Lithium Americas and ourselves as the two kind of developers. Uh, and I think uh, it's an educational process of really getting the word out. Uh, Live Ent went public uh, what a year and a half ago. That was the first pure play lithium company uh, producer ever listed in the United States. And uh, so it's a new it's a new sector. Uh, it's a new sector for the investors. It's a new sector for the analysts to really get their arms around. It's evolving very quickly. But at the end of the day, if we can develop real liquidity in the U.S., that, that will mean more demand for our stock. Uh, by definition, that will mean a higher stock price. So it's, it's an important objective for us. We did file a shelf registration with the SEC a few months back. That is now effective. Uh, we don't need any money. Uh, you mentioned the $21 million deal we did uh, in July with OzSuper and Fidelity and others. But, so we're very well capitalized now. We don't need money. But the time will come where we'll do a proper U.S. public offering, and offer the shares more broadly here than we've been able to do before, that will be a big liquidity event, just uh, the the deal itself, but also the trading liquidity that will follow that. So that's a strategic objective for us. We'd like to see more and more of our stock trade here. Uh, And we think it's an important differentiating factor for American investors who tend to be, uh, from an investor perspective, fairly provincial. They want to buy stock through their Merrill Lynch or Schwab account. They don't really want to trade on foreign exchanges. And uh, uh, we've positioned ourselves very attractively for them if
0: we could talk a little bit about you know there's ioneer there's um latin america's thacker pass it's hard you know because it's embedded within a, a company that's advancing an argentine project but but when I look at the landscape, and we had James Calloway on the show earlier this year, and he spoke at the Benchmark um, event in, in, in Washington, he kind of laid out the universe of American opportunities, and, and he said basically you have plain vanilla, you know, mean like Western Australia, but it, but it's localized in the Carolina tin spodumene belt, right? Then you have you know clays like Thacker Pass, you have unconventional brines like standard lithium, which is making a you know, very good progress, you know, and then you have their project, which is kind of a you know, boron and, and lithium. And uh, they raised an enormous amount of money, well-timed, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, like a uh, $600 million market cap. But they just raised another $4, $40 million at a $200, 225000000 market cap. And, and you're raising money at, you know, it's great institutions, you know, only about a $50 million market cap. So w- w- what do you think, like, in my opinion, you know, a plain vanilla hard rock you know, where Albemarle and Livent have hydrox, I'm calling this the hydroxide hub in North Carolina. I mean, this is where, you know, outside of China, this is where all the hydroxide is being produced. Um, and it is, you know, very familiar, you know, historically from 40 years ago production, uh, but also just known. You're, you're, you've appointed Primero, you've appointed Hatch. I mean, the, the skills to, um, you know, produce lithium from the rock that exists in, in North Carolina is, you know, right up the fairway of any anything that, that that one would, you know, look to. But, you know, Ioneer, you know, has had this, like, very significant market cap and more power to them. I think it's a good project. I mean, Rodney has written about it as he's written about you. You know, we believe in that project. That project, is, you know, very well may, may be undervalued as well. But, you know, it, it, at a $225 million market cap, it, it's not four times better than Piedmont, in my opinion, or four times more likely. So what do you think, how do you think about that, right, Um, in in the context? I mean, I think about it as asymmetric risk in, um, you know, if you do your work in in micro-cap, you know, not well-understood markets. But um, uh, I guess, how do you respond to that?
1: Uh, good question, something I get asked a fair amount. I think, um, first of all, the folks at Ioneer, at Standard Lithium, at Lithium Americas, and many other companies, great people, some really interesting projects. I don't know a lot about them. I don't know a lot about their issues. I guess it's fair to say every project has um, its particular attributes and investment op- you know considerations. Every project has the potential drawbacks or fatal flaws people worry about. You know, For us, one of the things people worried about was um, – Permitting, you know, could you permit a project thirty miles west of Charlotte? And you know, we have other permits still to get, but getting our federal uh, Section Four Hundred Four permit is a huge landmark event. We had no, we had a high degree of confidence we'd get it on the timeline we did. That's been accomplished. That's great. We feel very good about the air permit we'll need for the chemical plant, etc. We believe that'll happen in twenty twenty. So uh, it's really important to understand each of these projects. I think one important thing for us is. Uh, Our company is relatively young. So, Ioneer, uh, Lithium Americas, Namaska, you've mentioned, Kidman, you've mentioned, the Pilbara's, the Galaxies, they were all around in 2016, 2017 in the last kind of market, uh, kind of boom market for lithium. Uh, We declared our maiden resource in June of 2018. So, the market was already falling hard. Um, We've been in a situation where we've delivered uh, good news. Uh, generally, positive surprises from a resource perspective, a metallurgy perspective, a uh, engineering and cost perspective, uh, permitting perspective, and frankly, um, we've just been in a market where people have been selling lithium equities, not buying them. So we're really looking forward to the next turnaround. We think our stock has. We do think we're undervalued relative to m- many other lithium producers or, or lithium developers. Uh, we think we're massively undervalued relative to a few. Uh, I'm confident that will take care of itself over time. I think Fidelity and Aus Super and some other institutions kind of see that as well. Uh, but to be honest, we're in a market right now, and this is why, you know, they say it's always darkest before dawn. It's hard to get people to focus on lithium equities right now. It's a new business. People don't have a lot of uh, knowledge of the business like they do coal or copper or nickel or gold, where they've been looking at it for a very long time. People are really uncomfortable with the supply-demand issues, the pricing issues today, and they don't really know when it's going to turn, and and that's fair. And I don't know when it's going to turn either. But, but I know for sure uh, there's going to be that it's go, going to turn, and it's because it's going to turn because every car company in the world is racing into the EV space. And they're all going to need batteries. Lithium is the you know, dominant technology, and um, and and as a general matter, they're chasing hydroxide. So I have a high degree of confidence things will change. When they do, I think we'll be a primary beneficiary. It has been painful to raise equity at levels that we think are below our true valuation, but that's kind of the cost of advancing the project. Um, so I guess that's all I'll say. I mean, I'm uh, I, and I think again, I think the world of a lot of these other people and their projects, and I think the, the core advantages of ours: we're in North Carolina, we're on private land, we've we're you know more advanced in the permitting process than most. Uh, we'll be ultra low cost because we're where we are, and we're entirely conventional, um, and. You know, mining's a risky business. The chemical business is a risky business. Um, even executing a, chem- a conventional project has risks, but not having to worry about breaking new ground is uh, very appealing from my perspective as CEO. Could
0: you talk a little bit about... Um- sustainability because there's as direct lithium extraction stories are getting a little bit of traction and clay stories are getting traction like sustainability has become one very important but i think uh, lithium in particular even though the carbon footprint of any lithium project is relatively small to say a nickel project or you know a a copper project but it it seems to be held to like a, a higher higher standard
1: the issue of sustainability is, is critical, it's very important. Uh, that was made clear to me in conversations with one of the biggest OEMs in the world uh, when it was front and center of their discussion, issues, you know, transportation distances, what sources of energy will you use, et cetera. Uh, and uh, the good news is it's really good for our project. So uh, right now a uh, you know, a typical uh, lithium molecule, as, as uh, Sam Jaffe would say, tr- would travel from a South America, say, into North Carolina to be put into a hydro, in, to be upgraded to hydroxide, then shipped to Japan or Korea to go into cathode material and a battery, and then shipped perhaps to Nevada to go into the battery plant the gigafactory of Tesla, and then into California. So it's sort of a 25,000-mile trip. Imagine a scenario where we produce lithium hydroxide in North Carolina and on our site and ship it, um, you know, an hour away or less to a cathode plant, which then goes an hour further into a battery plant and then maybe an hour hour to some car plant. And that's very important for... Um, it's very important for the car company and for the big battery companies, the LGs of the world who are, you know, these are major corporations who are very concerned about these things. And it's very good for us. I mean, the good, it's, it's, it's great that it's sustainable uh, environmentally, but it's also less expensive and lower cost, and that's important. So it's commercially very sustainable. Big advantage for us that our chemical plants uh, about 12 miles away.
0: So you you defined a twenty five year mine life, which is basically just a subject of like you're having acquired land and and drilled out a certain portions of it. But um, you know the USGS I think estimated there's some seven hundred fifty million tons across the the whole belt. Um, we had Luke Kassam on the podcast earlier this year saying that uh, Kings Mountain is is greater than twenty thousand tons for, for for twenty years.
1: Carolina tin spotomy belt is huge. Uh, there was an article in an Australian technical magazine earlier this year that identified it as one of the three big belts in the world, uh, alongside Greenbushes and Monono in the DRC. So it's a massive belt, 700, 750 million tons. Maybe 50 million tons was mined previously. So there's clearly a lot more there. We're the biggest landholder now. We have 27.9 million tons of resources. Um, virtually every drill hole we've uh, we've executed has hit high-grade mineralization. There's an awful lot of the belt we certainly don't control and haven't drilled. And um, So I think the opportunities quite vast. But making it a lot bigger, we think, is, is something that's viable. Uh, but an opportunity that I think uh, exists is to really, um, uh, you think about all the spodumene in the world, from Australia, from places like Canada, Brazil, parts of Europe, parts of Africa. Right now, the only place to sell that material is into China. There's a you know handful or so of high-quality converters in China and um, Everyone in the downstream business in the battery business and the car business is looking for sources of supply outside of China they understand that China will be a large component of the business forever that's great but people look like diverse sources of supply so, uh, you know, the opportunity to grow our business by converting other people's spodamine in North Carolina is something that we think is actually interesting. It's something we'll be studying next year.
0: That's interesting. I mean, a company like Sigma in Brazil, um, you know, theoretically could instead of I think their plan is just to ship to China, because right now the only conversion in the world is, is in China. But um, if they were to ship to North Carolina, for example, if they don't build their own you know, downstream in Brazil, uh, you know, then that could be servicing the US market, could also be servicing uh, the, the European market, you know, uh, failures, let's say, or or, or, or difficulties. Um, I, I view those failures, to some degree, a, a function of capital markets, you know, kind of uh, dysfunction, meaning it, it's hard to finance and properly, uh, you know, get a business into production, when it, which takes like four or five years if the capital markets are open and closed within two years, right? So, Galaxy and and um, I guess the RB Energy and you know d- d- all sorts of reasons you know in Namaska, um, you know have had. Uh the operational difficulties are, are are not for juniors alone. I mean, Tangshi has had a big cost overrun in Quinana. So I, I I view there's there's an element uh, there's a sentiment in the industry that a junior can't you know develop a project on its own, right? It has to have you know some sort of partner. And if you have to have some sort of partner, then the partner has a lot of you know cards to play in terms of you know valuation.
1: We're, we're totally focused on shareholder value and kind of risk reward. So if we have the opportunity to work with a very strong partner like Kidman did in bringing in SQM, like like Minres chose to do with Albemarle, of course, we'd be open-minded to that. And they have great expertise. They have source, access to capital. They have customer uh, bases, et cetera. Uh, but I don't think we need it. And I will say there are other companies that aren't currently in the lithium business who have expressed real interest in the lithium business. It's very very rare to find a business that's relatively green you know it's a green mining operation essentially where demand is growing expected to grow 20 30 percent a year for a couple decades it's very unique that doesn't happen in copper or in coal or in a lot of businesses so people are looking to get into it there are a lot of people in the chemical industry who look at lithium and, and understand its complexity but they don't view it as rocket science so I think there's a there's an understanding perpetrated by perpetuated by the majors for their own selfish interest I think that that gee, this is really, really, really hard to do. The only people that can do it are, are the four or five of us that are doing it now. I don't think that's true. And I think when you look back in 10 years, there will be a number of people who have def- d- demonstrated the capability to produce um, to produce these materials. And some of them will be new entrants. You know, when you see West Farmers coming into Kibben. They have, they're a big company. They have a lot of expertise. I'm sure they'll learn a lot about lithium and then develop more expertise. Um, I think it wouldn't rule out others of that ilk that no one's ever heard of before in in a lithium context coming into the business and uh, playing an important role.
0: I agree with you, and I would also take the flip side on the Kidman because SQM really doesn't have much hard rock experience. I mean, I know they talk about their caliche ore for iodine, but uh, the reality is that uh, SQM is not a major player in uh, battery-quality hydroxide, right? which is the plan at Kidman. Um, and nor is um, West Farmers right. So, the biggest chemical companies in the world are actually oil companies um, in, in in America. And, and there's clearly plenty of West Farmers-like companies in America that see you know an opportunity here. I, I saw in. Um, Lithium Americas case—they've their contractor North American Coal is, like, is a coal company, right? So here's an opportunity to use coal expertise, you know, for clay. I'm not actually fully sure, um, you know, how how similar those things are, but but in any event, it's a coal company getting and diversifying into uh, an industry of the future. Um, so I, I, I think that there are lots of companies in America, right? That that. Uh, are starting to understand, you you know, this industry. So they could be your partners, I guess, or acquirers. Um, But uh, at the same time, again, because of... In the lithium industry, vanilla, you know, hard rock to... Hydroxide is, it's a young industry, and yes, things are hard, but th- that's the thing that's been done the most. Like Primero, I- 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 your contractor has done more uh, plants, you know, than anybody. You know, Hatch as well. And then there are other people, there are the individuals, right? You, you, I know Lithium America has hired a lot of people from FMC. And there are various people who have expertise um, that you could hire to, to, to build it, I, I would think, and especially in, in North Carolina, it's filled with
1: chemical engineers and and the like. North Carolina is the cradle of the lithium business it all started there there there's probably more English speaking uh, lithium processing talent within 15 miles of our site than anywhere else in the world so um, you know building a team is something we'll be focused on in the first half of next year and that's uh, an important opportunity uh, the other thing i would say is uh, you know it's a, it's a it's a business where the people who need the batteries are the car companies those are big companies you know they're 20 50 100 billion dollar companies who really are highly motivated to make sure their suppliers of batteries, LG, SK Innovation, Panasonic, et cetera, uh, can deliver the right quality batteries. Then you go down to the cathode producers, the lithium producers. There's an immense amount of expertise in the supply chain. Uh, Those folks are highly motivated to help people like us uh, develop a product that works for their supply chain, and those are conversations we're having now. As a general matter, if you assume a producing company, a steady-state producer, would trade at, say, one times NAV. Um, you know, when a project's de-risked, people pay more for it. We've had some really important de-risking events. Um, the first was really making the business big enough for people to care, so we believe we've done that with you know 25-year mine life, 22,000 tons a year of lithium hydroxide, ultra-low cost uh the federal 404 permit for the mine and concentrate plant huge de-risking event and then working toward bankable feasibility study by the end of the year with f- all the permits in place uh, the business is just worth more it's closer to cash flow people can have a higher degree of confidence uh in it uh but as a general matter um the market's going to rebound strongly uh i'm confident i have no i personally have no personal doubt about that um, I think when that happens, the big guys are going to be looking for consolidation opportunities, ways to position themselves strategically. Um, one thing they'll look at is for assets in unique places. You know, conventional, high-quality assets in interesting places. We have the only asset of that kind in the United States. Uh, it will have very high strategic value for somebody someday. And our our job is to position this company uh, as being attractive to the most broad group of possible. Investors, including those in the public market in Australia, in the U.S. and elsewhere, um, and in, in the strategic world with private equity folks and offtake partners and potential strategic partners, et cetera. Imagine a world where, um, in say 2024, 25, we're producing 22,700 tons of hydroxide, and prices are at the levels Rosskill's projected, which is the deck that we've used and a lot of others have used in our. In our models, and we're generating 300 million U.S. dollars of EBITDA, and we have a 20-plus year life to highly strategic asset. And there's an opportunity to grow that by getting more land, drilling more, you know, maybe converting some other people's material. You could grow those numbers dramatically. You can you can imagine and you can envision, and I do very very significant value in a business like that. That's a multi that's a multi billion dollar public entity.
0: This time last.